Hey everybody, welcome to another mini bonus episode of Healing Justice Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Warning, and earlier this week we brought you an in-depth conversation about coronavirus from a social justice lens. Most of that episode was a recording from a powerful webinar centering folks with chronic illness that was organized by the Cranky Queer, and it includes medical information from a holistic doctor, reflections from folks living with chronic illness and disabilities in our social justice organizations, and grounding practices and poetry. You can check it out just one episode back in our feed on whatever podcast platform you're listening, or go to healingjustice.org slash podcast slash corona to see all of our resources and transcripts related to coronavirus from a radical perspective. One thing that we were missing in that previous episode is guidance for those of us who are in positions of needing to make decisions about canceling or postponing travel or events. Some of us are supervisors, managers, directors, people who are responsible for other folks' working conditions and work expectations. Some of us are in get-out-the-vote mode for the critical Democratic primaries right now and cannot imagine what a slowdown could possibly look like in this critical time. Some of us are working on campaigns that are related to issues that are actually speeding up because of the political realities of this outbreak, like health care or paid sick leave. And others are looking forward to events, travel, convenings, and conferences, and are not quite sure what to do about our plans. So I'm sitting here with Marise Mitchell Brody, who so graciously agreed uh, at uh, several hours' notice to come over here at 9.30 at night to record <laughs> this section for you all, to get some advice about how we can be thinking about this time as organizers, as conveners, as people who are responsible for bringing people together. What are some of the things we should be thinking about um, heading into this moment? So, hey, Marise. Hi, Kate. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are for people who don't know you? Sure, yeah. Um, I am a lifelong New Yorker, and I am living with chronic illness, and I've been a healing justice organizer for some time, and I have been doing a lot of organizing and thinking around the intersections of disability and healing for um, about 12 years, and I'm a social worker as well. Hmm. Yeah, I'm so grateful you could share a little bit because I've had so many friends talking about on social media and also asking me directly like, hey, we have this, you know, training coming up this weekend. We have a conference in a month or two months. We Mm -hmm. have um, an all facilitator meeting where we're supposed to all fly to Florida in three weeks, like people trying to figure out what should we be doing about this? Mm -hmm. And when we aired this episode on Healing Justice podcast, just yesterday (laughs) feels like a week ago um this is something we actually didn't touch on Mm -hmm. is like one you know in the rest of this episode folks will hear advice and considerations for decisions to make about your own well-being Mm -hmm. but um but we didn't go through what what does it mean when you're in a position of decision making in a way that you're responsible for group well-being yeah and so you've been writing a lot about this on your social media and so immediately i was like marise has something to say about this so um (laughs) can you tell us a little bit about what you've been thinking about yeah sure so first i think we have to acknowledge a few things and one is that 
the racism and xenophobia that have accompanied COVID-19 are violent and harmful. And also, and I have to thank my partner, Che, and a couple other people for this, lifting this up at this moment, that the state has a long history and present of using quarantine and pandemic as a way to harm and control people. Um, And so it makes sense that people might be suspicious of some of what's coming their way. Mm -hmm. The other piece is that A lot of people can't work remotely and can't afford to work or will get fired if they don't work. Um, Mm -hmm. And some people and organizations do work that depends on crowds for income. So those are all very real things at this moment. And then the last thing is just that the way that organizing is traditionally done, whether it's a conference or a campaign or a benefit show, is done oftentimes with big groups of people gathering in person. And it sucks to have to change that. There's a lot of power in that. Um, Mm -hmm. So those things are all true. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of other things that are also true. And one is that we can intervene in the racism and xenophobia of this moment without minimizing the very real risks of COVID-19, especially for people who are immunocompromised, who are elders, who don't have access to health care, who are houseless, who are locked up. And we have to center that. And that we can and we should come up with community-centered responses that are in line with our movement values. We don't have to depend on the state Mm. to come up with solutions that work well for us. So what are some of the actual risks of traveling or being in group spaces at this time? So one thing is that the more people who are in a space and the closer people are to each other, especially in enclosed spaces, the higher the risk of transmission. Um, One story was that somebody with COVID-19 went dancing in Berlin and 16 other people got sick from being at that same club that night. Um, And so we really need to keep in mind that if too many people get it at once, it could overwhelm our healthcare system and what's happening in Italy right now. The greatest risk of traveling is not that an individual person will get sick, right? Like many people may not get too sick, but it's that they will transmit the virus back to either a community that they're coming into that hasn't had it yet, Mm -hmm. or back to their own community. Mm -hmm. And the most important thing that we can do to reduce the risks of COVID-19 is social distancing because it'll do what's called flattening the curve, which basically means reducing the total number of people who have COVID-19 at any given time, at any given place, to make sure that there are beds in hospitals and access to care for the people who need it most. So this part, this was when we were speaking earlier, this was a huge shift for me to think about like when I was thinking about should I keep my travel plans or do I feel comfortable going to, like I have concert tickets this sure. weekend, right? Like am I going to go to that concert or not, for example? Um, I was really thinking about that from my own personal risk standpoint mm-hmm. of like, well, weighing for myself, do I think I'm going to get sick or not? Which, by the way, is like an impossible thing to weigh sure. for yourself because how would you possibly know? Right. But it really impacted me hearing you say like the thing that we really need to be thinking about with travel or with gathering in large groups is this risk. Like when I make a choice to put my body in a certain place, mm-hmm. I might become a carrier or a bringer of the virus from one place to another that didn't Mm -hmm. otherwise have it. And so even if I end up being okay, or even if I don't display symptoms, Mm. I could have negative impact on communities that I care about. So that felt like a huge shift for me and makes me think given that, like Mm -hmm. that has such a gravity to it. Mm -hmm. 
what are some of the considerations that you recommend organizations or people making mm-hmm. decisions to mm-hmm. be thinking about right now? Yeah, I mean, I really think that one of the things that's important to keep in mind is that, unfortunately, knowing what we know about COVID-19 and knowing that we care about centering our work by and for in the people that a certain issue most impacts, right? So in this case, elders, immunocompromised people, houseless folks. In this moment, unfortunately, community care looks like canceling everything. It looks like, in except in very specific cases, it looks like finding other ways to come together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... It's a really tough moment, though, and I know this, that for people to be canceling things. Yeah, I mean, I especially think about my friends working on political campaigns and doing GOTV for the primaries right now. It's such a high stakes time to not put people out on doors or to cancel Mm -hmm. rallies or for any of the rest of us working in movement organizations to slow campaign work or divert campaign work in any way. Yeah, that feels really intense. Yeah, and I absolutely understand that people are making some really hard choices. I know that some people might be making these choices based on, well, it's not here yet, Uh right? But it's important to remember that COVID-19 takes between 3 and 14 days to show up. So that's a long incubation period. And it basically means that as soon as there's one people, one person in your general area, other people likely have it. And so I really think that everyone planning events should be prepared to cancel any non-essential in-person gatherings and have backup plans in place. And to just say that there's just extreme risk with any form of group travel that's train, air, bus, because of people being close together and because of the spread. Mm -hmm. And just to be really clear that for people who are doing organizing, there are very few things that can't be done virtually at this point, because our healthcare system is not ready. And we have to be thinking about being in this for the long haul, even if we have some short term losses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's also important to, that you can also postpone events instead of canceling them. When you postpone them, though, I'd encourage people to keep in mind that we don't know how long this is going to pan out. Most epidemiologists, people who study how diseases are transmitted, think that it'll last at least three months in any place where uh, it's just hitting and it could last longer than that. So people should be prepared to have a backup plan for your backup plan if you postpone an event. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the only potential exception would be for people when you have an everyday activity where you're providing direct material aid to help ensure people most at risk get the care they need. That's something like a drop-in center. Right. And in that case, absolutely, you may want to think about finding ways to support people. And in the document that we'll have linked, um, there are some more examples of this. But the takeaway from that is that if your organization isn't prepared to take on the costs associated with medical care for COVID-19 for your staff, you should not be pressuring your people to put themselves at risk by coming to work or attending gatherings. And Mm. so... Really, that's a one good way to test for what you're willing to take on and what you're willing to risk <laughs> in considering Real. holding things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
anything else that you think about that you'd want to share or alternatives that you've been exploring for yeah. what it can look like to shift events? Yeah. So as a member of disabled community, you know, folks have been organizing events online for a long time now. Um, and so things like webinars, not just saying, oh, go on Zoom, but Zoom is a great platform. There are all kinds of breakout rooms. You can do all sorts of things with that. You can, if you cancel a conference, you don't have to cancel it entirely. You could, you know, have a few different webinars. Um, you can make a conference on social media. Again, these are some of the tips that you can find online in this resource. Think about like, oh my goodness, I would so love to attend a party or a concert like, and put on a fabulous outfit and join all my people via webinar. Like, <laughs> I would love to show off on the internet. There, These are ways that disabled and chronically ill people have been taking care of each other for a long time. Mm. Um, I have so many video dates with people. Sometimes one of my friends who lives across the street will text each other from bed, from our mm-hmm. own beds. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a time for showing up with solidarity and care mm-hmm. um, and creativity. And our movements have that in abundance. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's where I'd leave that. Mm. Well, thank you so much for all of these tips and also for, with such care, putting them into a comprehensive resource, this document um, for recommendations for folks um, who are considering what to do with their movement gatherings. Um, that resource is going to be linked along with all the other resources you hear us talk about in this episode at healingjustice.org slash podcast slash Corona. Um, and that link is also in the show notes. So thank you for taking good care of yourself and the people that you care about and for looking out in movement space and aggregating these tips for us. Absolutely. Thank you for letting me come and share what I've learned from my people with y'all. Hey. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening into this mini episode of Healing Justice Podcast. You can find all resources related to this episode at healingjustice.org slash podcast slash corona. Our vast library of conversations with movement leaders about collective healing and social change, as well as practices you can use for your personal growth or to lead in a group, is findable at healingjustice.org slash podcast. We are changing our name as a project on this upcoming Monday, March 16th. Sign up for our email list at healingjustice.org to stay connected and follow us into our new organizational name next week. Thanks again to Marise Mitchell Brody for your guidance around organizational decision making in this time. We hope that some of the information here can support you and the people you love. Sending you a lot of love and care and robust desire for the mutual aid networks that we all deserve. We are the ones who are going to take care of each other. Hear you soon.